Good morning, everybody online, whether you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook. Uh, again, my name's Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Eagle Mont, and uh, excited to be able to continue our series in the book of Ephesians, as we'll be uh, going from Ephesians 5.21. If you have your Bible with you, you can open there, and let's just open in a word of prayer. God, thank you that in this moment, each one of us, in the different locations where we find ourselves, God, we are still called to be a part of the church. And today you are wanting to equip us with your word so that we can do the work of the church. Give us open hearts to receive from you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, just want to invite you, uh, if you haven't already, if you're online, let other people know you're online, whether it's through the, the chat that goes on on YouTube or it's the chat that's going on on the Facebook group, uh, that community aspect still. That's part of us being the church. So please, if you haven't already, just put your name. Say, Jason Copan is here. I know, Jason, you're already on YouTube. Or put your name there. Let everybody know that you're there and, and feel free to chat with each other. Um, I don't know if you've had the experience. In fact, I actually, I'm pretty positive all of you, even in the last two weeks, have had this experience. But I remember when I went from, from, uh, from living at home and went to college and the change of rules that you have at college versus like when you're in elementary school or even in high school. When I put my hand up to ask if I was allowed to go to the bathroom when I was in my first college class, my professor looked at me awkwardly and said, just go, you don't need to ask. Or when I had my, my dorm room, uh, my mom didn't come to clean my stuff. No one dusted the, the shelving in my dorm room. No one was uh, phoning my mom if I didn't show up for class that morning or making sure that I kept up with my homework. I was on my own. There was, there was a change in rules as I was kind of in a whole new world, a whole new level of authority. In every country around the world, they have their own laws and their own rules. And I was reading about some of the unique laws that are there. I believe it's in, in Singapore where you, it's illegal to not to chew gum completely. In fact, they don't sell it in the country and especially to spit the gum out. All those things are illegal actions there. If you live in Maryland in the U.S., it is illegal to take a lion to the theater. The most ridiculous thing is they had to make that law because someone obviously at some point brought a lion to a theater. Rules are always made in different jurisdictions. In Canada, we have different laws and different rules than they do in the U.S., than they do in Pakistan. Every country has its own rules. Lately, all of us have been getting adjusted to new rules that we're facing right now. That we've, things that we've been used to have kind of changed a little bit. Throughout his ministry, Jesus spoke about a kingdom, a kingdom that he would rule, the kingdom of God. And the reality that for those who are followers of Jesus and are going to belong to this kingdom, it means that we are invited to live by a new governing authority. Ephesians 2, 9, 19, sorry, which we studied a few weeks ago, says this, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. In the latter half of his letter, the Apostle Paul always took the theological truths he taught at the beginning of his letters and then made them really practical for this is what it means for how you live. So since we are called to live in this new kingdom under a new governing authority, Paul then helps give us a practical outwork of how we are to live or conduct ourselves as, as citizens of this kingdom. 
In Ephesians 5.15, which we looked at last week, Paul implores his readers to not live foolishly, but to live wisely. The section of Ephesians that we're going to look at today is an extension of this exhortation to live wisely under the new kingdom that we looked at last week. And a key overarching statement for this week's passage is in verse 21, where the Apostle Paul states this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a command in order to not live foolishly. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the thesis statement of everything that we're going to talk about this morning. To submit to one another. This word submit, it means to arrange under or to subordinate. To yield to one's admonition or advice. This concept of submission, truthfully, is really contrary to what our world teaches us. To get to what Paul is talking about here, you need to understand how this new kingdom of God operates. See, the world that we live in operates under a rule of power. I'm going to get what's mine. I'm going to work to get what I deserve. Uh, Perhaps you've seen this attitude in the grocery store lately. People who are clearing out shelves and not yielding to others who are vulnerable and who are in need because they're going to get what's theirs. A power system like our world has leaves people constantly competing, constantly trying to one-up others and approve and validate their own worth. For those who were online last week, you would have saw Pastor Marlo manage to get baby pictures of Pastor Brennan, Pastor Jaden, and myself. I did not know about this. I found out there was a conspiracy going on behind my back. I was a little upset about it. My wife had to uh, take a, have a little conversation with me afterwards as I found out it was my wife who did that. Now, under a world system, if I was super petty and worldly, I would probably this week just post a picture of my wife from when she was a child. Please post that picture now. But I am not petty. I can't control what Brennan does. I am not petty, so I wouldn't do something like that. But a world system operates by power. Yet, contrary to that, this is where we have to get the mindset that the new kingdom that Jesus brought in was not according to power, but it was a kingdom of authority. This is a principle of the kingdom of God. See, to to differentiate, let me put it this way. Imagine that you're driving around Beaumont, and the sirens turn on behind you, and there's a police officer. He pulls you over. RCMP officer comes out, says, you're speeding. I'm going to give you a ticket. You broke the law. That RCMP officer has power because he's given to it to give you that ticket. And because he has power, he can threaten you with punishment. You do what he says. Authority, the way the kingdom of God works, would be the equivalent of not a police officer or a bouncer at a concert kicking you out, but the equivalent of your grandma. Someone who was in your life, who loved you, who cared for you, and and was in the car and said, please don't speed. It scares me when you drive fast. Now, you may want to speed or you may want to do other things, but your grandma, because of who she is, because of the love you have for her, because of what she's done in your life, she has the authority to be able to say that. She doesn't power over you. She doesn't dominate you, but she has authority and you listen and you go accordingly. The kingdom of God runs under an authority model or a love model versus a power model. And so with that, Paul is teaching us us that in all of our relationships, we are called to yield or to submit to one another. 
Note that at the end of this statement, we are called to submit to one another, which that word means mutually, reciprocally. We are called to yield to each other, not because of the other person being better or right or even deserving. But the statement here is we are to yield to one another out of reverence for Christ. Your ability to submit has nothing to do with the other person. And it has everything to do with your obedience to Jesus. It's all about you and your ability to live wisely according to the rules of the new kingdom that you belong to, the kingdom of God. So the rest of this section that we're going to study this morning, that we're going to break down, it covers the application of this statement of submitting to one another into important relationships. Those relationships being this, husbands and wives, children and parents, masters and slaves. We're going to look at each one of these and how this submitting to one another plays out. So with that, as I apparently am going through puberty, that was quite the squeak. All right, with that, men and women, husbands and wives. Let's look at this. Have you in your lifetime, adults, I'm going to ask you, did you ever have a weird rule growing up? Just take a second in your household. If, if right away you know you had this weird rule that you weren't allowed to do. When I was growing up, I was the only one of my friends, I wasn't allowed to go to movie theaters. That was one of our rules. Never really understood it, just knew we weren't allowed to. Did you ever have a, a rule growing up that you just didn't really understand? Were you told that you weren't allowed to take lions to the theater? What, what was the rule that you had? Now, during this section, obviously, this husbands and wives, kids who are listening this morning, I'm going to give you a, a, an assignment to do while we're talking about husbands and wives, okay? During this section, I want you to be brainstorming, kids. I want you to grab a pen, pencil, crayon, whatever, and a piece of paper, and I want you to write down, if you were able to be in charge of making the rules in your house, what rules would you make? So while I'm going to be talking to moms and dads this morning, talking about husbands and wives, I want you to go ahead and write down your rules, all right? And you're going to be able to share those. Parents, we're going to share some of those rules online with each other afterwards. So kids, if you want to work on that, moms, dads, husbands, wives, men, women, let's jump in uh, to this passage now. Reading from verse 22 in Ephesians 5, it says this, for wives, this submitting to one another, for wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his, of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives submit your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. 
and the wife must respect her husband. We'll stop right there. So Paul first looks at the relationship of a husband and wife, and he compares this relationship to that of Jesus and the church in order to display what submission is and congruently how it should be displayed in this relationship of marriage. So before we go any further, can we start with an obvious statement? If you've been around church, you know, or if, even if you're new to church and you've just heard this for the first time, you probably can guess that this portion of scripture is one that can be controversial and upsetting to some. I'm thankful that uh, we have leadership in our church that's not scared to talk about passages of scripture that can be controversial. Thankful for Marlo's leadership and courage and being willing to talk about these things and ask me to be the one to do it. That took a lot of courage. Uh, with that, I'm just kidding. Uh, by asking, uh, by looking at this, I, I want to go and just point out, for those of you who argue that you do not like this portion of Scripture, and that you would just like to ignore it, I don't think that this has any relevance. 2 Timothy 2.16 says this. It tells us that all Scripture, all of it, your whole Bible there, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we can't just cut out the parts that we don't like. God's saying, this is all of my, all of my conversation for all my instructions, all that I want you to live by. And be the equivalent of us saying, I like most of the rules in Canada, but I don't like that whole no stealing and no murdering thing because there's some people that really I just don't like and I don't want them around. We don't get to pick and choose what we like and get to keep and what not. This is it. If we're in the kingdom of God, all of this has to be taken in. We need that as our starting point. Now, some would also argue that Paul's writing on this topic is simply cultural and completely outdated and irrelevant for us today. See, the culture of the time would have seen women as being subordinate to men. But before we go too far down that road, we need to look at the context of this portion of Scripture. Paul is not just yielding to a cultural way, but in fact, he is challenging his very culture. You see, throughout this letter of Ephesians, we have seen Paul go to great lengths, explaining and challenging his readers that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, meaning those who were the Jews, those who were called as the people of God, and Gentiles, who were formerly outside of being the people of God. No matter your background or financial standing, Jesus Christ being an equal platform to all. Now we get to see Paul take this a practical step further. As followers of Christ, we are not to lord power over others, but rather we reflect Christ by how we submit to one another. The premise of a wife's submission to her husband is, the, in fact, the fact that they are equal. See, contrary to Paul's, uh, Paul's culture that he lived in, Paul viewed and preached that men and women were equal in God. If this is not held, then we're working from a broken system. And we can't understand what Paul is intending. Because we're not basing it off of what he's already presented. That we are all to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul has been establishing this equality in Christ throughout this letter. The church in Ephesus had struggled with Pharisaic religious thinking. There had been rules about what they could and could not do, live and consume. 
There were some in the church that made up religious rules and rituals that were never Christ's intention. And Paul argues in the early parts of this letter that through Christ, we are now freed from these empty rituals. See, it's important that we understand that the word submit is different than the word obey. We're going to break this down, and I think this will help us to understand. To submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, this is the condition for how we are to approach all relationships. Any good marriage can tell you marriage is not a dictatorship. It is a partnership. Husbands, you are called to be Christ-like leaders of your home. This is your call. You are to lead your home as Christ did the church, as Paul says. It is not a demonstrative dictatorship. You are to love your wives as yourselves and lead sacrificially. You prioritize the needs and well-being of your wife, just as Christ does for his church. Wives, you are not destined to play second-class citizens in your relationship. You are a partner. You are called to submit to the authority of your husband. Again, we're going to break this down more. Not the power of your husband, to the authority of your husband. Bear with me as we unpack what this means. God does not say, wives, obey your husbands. Like he later tells children to obey their parents. Kids, keep working on those rules. He says to submit, to come under not the power, but the authority of their husband. Again, obeying and submitting is very different. As a practical illustration, I was on Facebook last night and I noticed several women in our church uh, complaining that perhaps their men would be looking at having some different facial hair structures. If we have that picture, several of them said, in fact, Brandy, I believe, was... I think threatening saying that Kyle better not. Have you ever had, husbands and wives, have you ever told your spouse not to do something or parents with your kids told them not to? Sometimes that's the worst thing you do. It's a broken part of a power model. You can say don't, but the reality is is that that might only push them further. I saw three men with beautiful facial hair last night, some good mustaches. Perry with, I don't even know what that is, but it looks great. Kyle, not only the Fu Manchu, but like the hair, it, it looks great. Sometimes commanding doesn't really work. And God's not asking husbands command. It's wives submit. It's different. There is an authority there. Now, kids, don't think that you're safe. Because I've also been told that with uh, hairdressers cutting down, that perhaps these next pictures might be yours when you go back to school as uh, parents are going to be looking at getting some new haircuts. It's stellar. In any group or organization or relationship for that matter, there is always a leader. Again, this is not a statement of power, but of authority. A good leader is not one who lords power over another, but one who will look out for and love the other as themselves. Husbands, this is what Paul is saying you are to do. This is your call in God's kingdom. The one who is called to lead and serve is you. Every relationship has points of impasse where a decision needs to be made. Christ is to be our example of how men and women are to lead their homes. Men, lead like Christ who sacrificially led the church. Seek the Lord for wisdom. Wives, submit to your husband, which means don't be second-class citizen, but come under their leadership covering, just as Christ submitted to the will of the Father. We see this 
even as, as scripture talks about in Philippians 2, that Jesus was not inferior to the, follow, the Father, but he was equal. Philippians 2, 6, you must have the same attitude of that as Christ Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In a healthy relationship, a husband is wired to lead. To, what that means is to provide care and covering for his wife. This does not mean that a husband makes all the decisions. Nor does it mean that the husband should be the, is always the more aggressive personality, has better leadership giftings, or is always right. This is not a sexist statement, nor is it a lumping of people into cultural stereotypes. Men being leaders doesn't mean that men are the breadwinners, that women stay at home cooking, cleaning, and serving. There is a wide variety of unique personhoods. There are great female leaders, just like there are great male cooks. I see you out there, Jeff Lynn. Again, the, pic the picture here is that there is a balance of systems here, a balance of love and respect being reciprocally given between husbands and wives. You see, stats say this, that when a mom comes to Christ, her family will join her to going to church about 17% of the time. But stats also say that if a father comes to know Christ, his family will join him 93% of the time. You see, this is the way God designed things to work. Men, you are to lead your home. Now, there can be abuse of this from both sides. The premise of this statement that Paul is making is a condition of Christ-like character. We have two cultural problems that affect us today. Number one, in the church, in church culture, we have seen an abuse of Paul's writing and taking the, the Christ headship out of the context of submission. Sadly, many in the church have used these verses to permit abuse and dictatorship in homes. Where there is not equality that is ruled by Christ's love, but an uneven distribution of control and power that is abused. Church, this is wrong. And this is not what Paul was intending. We have made ourselves irrelevant by not speaking the whole truth. Leading your home does not mean everything is going to be done the way of a husband. The way that he thinks, the way he commands. That's not what's being presented here. On the other hand, culturally, we have the cultural irrelevance and belittling of the role of a dad and a husband. You see it when you watch TV or watch a commercial. Men are always often depicted as the idiots who don't know how to do anything right. And the wife has to tell them what to do and kind of behind the scenes fix all of their mistakes. See, we have an epidemic in our men today, in our culture. Many are not even around anymore in their homes. And the ones who are around, they don't lead. Ladies, just as a man will be accountable for how they treat you, you will be held accountable to how you have treated the man God has given you. Wives, do not belittle your husband or override him, just as you would not like to have that done to you. Any good, healthy marriage I've ever seen has a display of mutual affection and mutual support, submission to each other. It is not a striving or fighting for personal gain. Every healthy relationship I have seen contains this type of balance. Yet, counter that, every unhealthy relationship I've ever seen has a measure of competition and battle for control. This is how we are to practically live out Christ 
in our marriages. We do not fight for control, but we love and care for those God has entrusted to us. So men, your leadership of your home is not a striving for power. Men are leaders in the way Christ was. They are sacrificial. Like Jesus, they will get down and wash the feet of their disciples, wash the feet of their wives, their, their children. Women, you are, you are also called. Encourage your men to be leaders. Not by talking down to them or overriding them when you don't agree. Encourage them to seek God and do so with them. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. There's a great book called Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egerich. And I encourage you to read that. Perhaps for some of you who have more downtime right now. Parents, husband and wives. It's a great book to look into. So we get into this, just a practical illustration of maybe how this is playing out in your home. If you're stuck at home and perhaps, I'm not saying this is always the case, it can be reversed, but I'm just for the sake of illustration. Perhaps in some homes, we have this dynamic going on where we're between a, a husband and wife, where a wife feels extremely stressed by all the news that's going on with COVID-19 and feels a lot of anxiety. Husbands, if this is the case, don't just judge them. Don't just tell them what to do. Don't just tell them they're overreacting to get over it and I can't stand being around you. Cover them, care, listen, understand, and encourage. If you have a hard time with that and that's not always what you do, it's okay. Ask forgiveness and try again. I do it a lot. I make this mistake often. Wives, if your husband's trying to come and listen and encourage you, don't take encouragement as judgment. Come under that care. Understand that you have someone that's called to help be that cover for you, to care for you. As a practical challenge for, for husbands and wives today, before the sun goes down tonight, husbands, I want you to ask this question on your own. But ask your wife at some point today, what can I do that, makes, that would make you feel loved? Don't assume what that is. Ask them, what could I do today that would make you feel loved? And how can I let you know that I cherish you? Take that challenge to ask that today. And wives, ask your husband, what can I do to, that lets you know that I respect you? What can I do that makes you feel respected? It's a great question to ask before the end of the day, maybe after kids go to bed tonight. All right, kids, that was a bit of a long one. Are you still with me? Do you have your rules? Parents, I'm actually giving you permission. If your kids have rules, you can feel free because I believe in your multitasking abilities. You can share some of your kids' good rules online. And afterwards at the end here, kids, you can like really spell out all those rules for your parents, all right? So you go ahead, share some of those rules. But we're going to move on to an important section. And kids, this is where you need to be listening as well, right? So we're going to talk about the relationship of parents and children. So this goes on to say, children, obey your parents. Because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, just to give you context, culturally at this time where Paul is speaking, young children, young dependent children would not be counted in a group. When you talked about the 5,000 that were fed by Jesus, children weren't counted there. Children were essentially assumed that whatever their parents would say would be what they think. 
They weren't spoken to separately. They were never addressed. They did not have a voice of their own when it came to public affairs or anything of consequence. Paul specifically speaks to kids here. Church, let's take note. Young people count. And not for tomorrow, but for today. Paul believed this and exemplified it. He bucks the culture of his day and spoke directly to kids. Children, obey your parents. In the Lord is the context here. Meaning that parent and kids are followers of Jesus. Now this term obey is different than the term submit. Submit is a choice to come under. Obey is a directive to list and do what is commanded. Now, I'm going to get a volunteer here in a second. And scanning among the masses that I have in the gym, I'm going to choose, yes, you young man, Pastor Marlowe, perfect. If you don't mind coming up here. But as we talk about this, obey not because your parents are right. Kids, get this. You're not obeying because your parents are right. Nor are you not obeying because they're wrong. It's you obey because it's the right thing to do. The key is not just obeying to please others, but please God. Now, I want to talk about this honor your father and mother. Now, the idea of honor. Honor means this. It means to uh, estimate, to fix the value or to revere. You fix value on. Now, there's a difference between honor and respect. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the difference. Now, I'm going to have to stand in my tippy toes here. But we're keeping our social distance here. Pretend I'm taller. Should I show someone shorter? All right. The difference between honor and respect is this. Respect is I choose and I look at someone at equal face value and I go, I, I like Pastor Marlowe. He's honest. He's got integrity. He's funny. He's smart. He, I like the decisions he makes. He's kind. I, 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 have, I have a respect for the type of person he is. Paul is not saying to respect you. He says honor your parents. And this is the difference. Honor is if you wanted to stand on the, on the chair here. Okay. All right. Am I still okay camera-wise there? Okay. Honor is actually, it's you fixing value on. It's not, it's not because Pastor Marlowe, anything that's in him, but I actually fix a value. I elevate and I put a value. So when God says to honor your father and mother, he's not saying they are all right. He's saying, I want you to fix that there's a value and put them up because I've put them in that place. Again, God asks us to submit, to come under. And so kids, when God asks you to obey your parents, to submit under their authority, he's not doing it because your parents are perfect. He's not doing it even because they're right the majority of time. Has nothing to do with that. But you actually worship God and you honor God when you honor your parents because he's asked you to do that. That's the difference between honor and respect. Thanks, Pastor Marlo. You can honor someone even when you don't agree with them or you don't admire them. And, and this comes with a promise. When you honor your father and mother, the promise is this. Things will go well for you. And you will have a long life on the earth. If you want to live a long life, it's saying it right here. There is a promise that when you choose to give that honor to your parents, 
Adults, this is the same for you. Some of you, maybe you've even had a bad history with your parents. You came from a broken home. You came from a home where parents were not in any way people that you respect. And even to this day, that's a challenge. God's ask from you is not that you have to respect who they are, but he does ask you to honor them. And perhaps for some of us, we need to get to that point of giving forgiveness to them and recognizing that the honoring of our father and mother is not coming and agreeing that what they did was right. Now with that, the reverse of this is for parents with your kids, dads, specifically speaking to dads here. Don't provoke or mistreat your kids. Don't provoke or or stimulate, excite, like don't poke the bear. Fathers, you are leaders and moms, you're with them on this. But I think Paul probably spoke to dads because I think in generalities, often dads, we can just tend to be a little more disciplinary and we're a little harsher sometimes. We're a little less caring with our words at points, sometimes as a generality. If you push, provoke your children, they will become discouraged and disheartened or broken in spirit. Dads, don't belittle your kids. Don't expect perfection of them, but value relationship more than performance. If you push your kids so much spiritually even, those of you who are trying to push your kids into having faith and relationship with Jesus and do things for him, they will become disheartened. So be careful how you discipline. Discipline like God the Father does, who does out of love, as we see in Hebrews 12, 6. Speak life into your kids. Call out the goodness of God that you see in them regularly. Your kids, I want to say this clearly because it's something that I need to be reminded of. Your kids' parents are, are made to bring pleasure to God. Not made to bring pleasure to you, nor bring pleasure to your friends. Your discipline has nothing to do with how other people will perceive or your parents will perceive. It has to do with your discipline is about bringing pleasure to God, helping bring your kids up in the ways of God. So discipline to disciple. Keep that as a bookmark for how you discipline. Discipline itself is not a dirty word, but with that, it'll be unique for each child. Remember, you are discipling them. Part of that is going to be discipline as they grow older. Finally, the last relationship we're going to look at this morning is is slaves and masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will will uh, reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, but remember, both of you have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Paul has spent time in this letter explaining how all of mankind is equal. So for some of you, you're probably going, why does he not denounce slavery and forbid Christians from even being involved with this? Set free the slaves and tell the masters to get lost. Okay, we need to understand something here. First, we need to understand what the term slave meant at this point. As much as two-thirds of the Roman Empire were slaves. Slaves were either prisoners of war or ones who chose themselves to sell themselves into slavery. Most slaves were well-educated. 
And although masters had authority, unlike slavery, say for instance, in the southern states, masters often showed respect and dignity towards their slaves. Paul was not in the position at this point to be able to change the system of slavery. It was a system of the society he lived in. But he believed all men were equal and preferred men to be free. But if they are not, then they are called to serve faithfully where they are. You can look at 1 Corinthians 7, 20 to 24. That speaks to this as well. We have to remember that Christ is sovereign. He is the ruler and in control over all. So remember for us that if you live for Christ, you live for Christ wherever you are because he has placed you there. If you are a slave, honor Christ with your work. You work for Christ. There is a great reward for you and you have an inheritance that you will receive. See, a slave, a real slave doesn't get an inheritance, but a slave for Christ in the kingdom of God does. You are not a slave, you are free. If you are a master, remember that your responsibility is given by your master and you are held accountable. Treat those under you the way God has. Now, obviously, many, not many of us are slaves or masters, but many of us are employees, supervisors, bosses, and owners. The principle remains the same. Remember, we honor God with our work and how we treat others. When we work for a boss, we also, more importantly, work to honor God. We don't work because our boss is worth the work or that they treat us well or because they're watching. Don't be the one who looks for shortcuts or talks back behind the back of the boss. Honor Christ with your conduct and your work. This is worship and practical Christianity. If you're working from home right now, be honorable with the time even though no one is watching you. Bosses, don't think of yourself as better. Don't be selfish and miserly. Remember, you are not your own boss. God is in charge. And you will be held accountable to how you treat your employees. Your workplace is not just a way to make money and gain power. It is a place to demonstrate God's love and reach. Care for your employees right now and make every effort to give them and their families the best chance to be safe and provided for. The last statement of this section says this, because God has no favorites. There's no favoritism with him. But all are equal. We need to remember that we live not by the system of the world, but by the system of the kingdom of God. It's not about power, but it's about authority. Don't fight for your power today. Use what God has given you and be the servant that has been found faithful in the midst of the battles of the grocery store and people fighting over toilet paper, the newest currency that's more valuable than Bitcoin, don't be the one who's fighting, who's trying to hoard. In the midst of those battles, show grace. In heated arguments and discussions in your, in your home as you trip over each other and try to get new to this, used to this new normal, don't go out to prove you're right. Don't go out to prove that you're the most powerful. Work to honor the other. Don't find comfort in your accomplishments, accolades, wealth, or prestige. One of the gifts, perhaps, that's come from this pandemic is, I think for a lot of us, there's a bit more of that realization that we're all equal. People who are wealthy aren't excluded from the potential of getting this. People, just as much as people who are poor. Church, let's live in the authority and courage that God gives us. Because it's not in the power that you incur yourself. It's in the authority that God will give you. So I want to encourage you as, as I close just with prayer today. 
With the words of Numbers 6, 24, 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We pray as we close. God, thank you that today we are called under a new kingdom. And perhaps there are those of us who have yet to welcome and be a part of that kingdom. But today we say, I don't want to live by the rules of this world, by power. I want to be a part of this kingdom of God where there is life. I want to come under the authority of Jesus. It's as simple as just asking in our hearts, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Forgive me where I've been selfish, where I've done things on my own. What the Bible calls sin, just trying to serve me. I ask you, forgive those things. You come live in me and help me to live for you today. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. For all of us who right now are getting used to our new normals, God, can you remind us today in our homes and our families, we're called not just to a new normal that the world is, but we're called to a new kingdom. And those rules haven't changed. Help us to live submitting to one another, not proving our worth, not trying to find ourselves in that, but remind us again today, our worth is in you that you called us worthy, and that's what gives us worth. Would you bless each one today, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.